Hi, I'm Jerry Grant, and this is the series of programs we're calling Disc Jockey Confidential here on WVUD and WVUD HD1 Newark, the voice of the University of Delaware. I'll be interviewing some of my fellow VUD jocks to find out what path they took to arrive here at the radio station. We'll talk about their earliest experiences with music and radio and how those experiences inform their own show currently on WVUD. Today's guest is Pat Goodhope the Wednesday night host of our popular Avenue C Jazz program, heard each weeknight on WVUD. Pat, how you doing? I am well. I'm honored that you've chosen me to participate. Oh, well, thank, thank you very you. much. Well, thanks for coming down. I appreciate mm. it. Why don't you give us a little brief description of your kind of Avenue C Jazz program? I'm on every Wednesday between 10 and midnight. I have a very conversational approach to it. I do probably a lot more talking than most programs. I tend to want to be able to explain what I played and why and and the importance of it. That's where my enthusiasm lies, and I, I've just always sort of constructed things that way, and that's how I do it. We have free reign, and certainly I love the uh, diversity of what I do with it. I take it for the whole century, and I also include a lot of things that some people might argue aren't quote-quote pure jazz, but it's they fit. It works. So it's the free, the free, I don't know, how do we, what's the word for it, Jerry? We can do exactly what we want, how we want to. Right. And that's, that's the greatest gift anybody could ask for in radio. I think that's why people tune in. I hope so. Where were you born and raised? I actually uh, was born in Rapid City, South Dakota, and I was, I grew up there. Um, and I wound up in Delaware. I was in the Air Force and I stayed. So I, when I was 18, I enlisted and Landed at Dover and at 18, and when I got out, I, I stayed, and here I am. It's Delaware is home. Well, how about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, when you grew up, uh, was there was there music in your house? Oh, yeah. My interest grew out of my dad's small record collection. I think initially I may have been trying to curry favor <laughs> initially to try to get dad to like me, in a sense. Uh, <laughs> and then I took it and ran... Oh, you know, he had a, a small but very prestigious collection of LPs, and that's how I got myself started. And then I started going after it for myself, and by the time I was 12, 13 years old, I was way down the road. Wow. So what did he have? What was in his collection? Well, he had probably a typical collection of, of people from his age and his era. He had Benny Goodman records and Woody Herman records and Dave Brubeck quartet records. And interestingly enough, it, it, his... Sinatra collection was very small, so I listened to those things over and over and over. I remember when I was like six, particular album cover was a, a Benny Goodman album, and he was holding his clarinet, but I didn't know what a clarinet was, and it says Benny Goodman and his orchestra, and I thought that that that, that clarinet <laughs> was actually called an orchestra. I had no idea. Sure. I thought of that the other day. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't know anything, so I, I went from there, and, and then... Um, um, you know, I used the public library, didn't we all, when we were that age? Public mm-hmm. library records, so I was getting those, and I was dubbing them to cassettes, and then uh, by the time I had the means to really start making some money, then I was buying an LP every week. And you know, when we're that age, you oh, listen yeah. to it over and over, and you just soak up every every second of it and internalize sure. all of it, and that's how it kind of got started for me. So did you stick with jazz pretty much, or...? Uh, yeah, that's that's where I was. I mean, I've always been a man out of out of the. I've always been a man in the wrong time. Out of time. I've I've, mm-hmm. I've always been that, and it's it's always what reached me. I mean, I didn't really have any exposure 
of consequence to other things necessarily until I was in college. But it's where my heart is. It's always been. And fortunately, living in Delaware, I go to New York all the time. I have friends that are Sure. I'm not as isolated as I once was. <laughs> in South Dakota. <laughs> oh, well, forget well, South Dakota. Right, I right. mean, I, even, I've always been a man out of my, out of time. And it's just been the way my life has always been. So I don't, I'm not bothered by it anymore. Was there any music in your house? Was there any live music? Did anybody play an instrument or? Uh, yeah, I was, I played piano for a little while, but I refused to practice. And I was very good at it. And my teacher I would never practice, but I'd go to each lesson and I could play everything. And my teacher tolerated it because she knew I had it in me. I had the music in me. My sister had the moxie. She had the drive, but she didn't have the music in her. I had the music in me and I didn't want to do the practicing. So I really regret that I stopped. Probably at age 15, I was like, I'm not doing it anymore. Sure. So for me, it was a missed opportunity. My mom wanted me to be a drummer, if you can believe it. <laughs> she wanted you to be a drummer. She wanted me to be a drummer. And mm-hmm. I, eh, whatever grade you can start playing in, in the school band, I picked up the alto sax and I wanted to be Paul Desmond. And so I hauled that thing around for a year, absolutely frustrated because I could never get that sound the way I wanted it to and I gave it up. So, How about, was there radio in the house? That... Oh yeah, my dad was in radio. His whole career was in radio. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, but growing up, there was no radio to really listen to where I lived of any worth, really. It, mm-hmm. I had an idea of what I wanted to do before I even knew it could be possible. Um, uh-huh. And when I was 18, when I was in high school, my senior year, we actually have, there was a radio station there at the local college, uh, South, Dakota, South Dakota School of Mines and Technology, big engineering school. They had a radio station. All volunteers, uh-huh. and it was it was it was totally wide open. I walked in and just sat down and started doing some radio, and that's how I kind of started for myself. I have tapes of those things, and I won't listen to them now. <laughs> were you in, were you in high school or college? Or, or I was I was in between when I graduated from high school and when I went into the Air Force. So it was like an interim of about six months, and I was there doing this all the time. You played what you knew. You and played. I, I did what I do now, but not very well. Well, sure. Well, everybody, you <laughs> we start, start somewhere. Sure. I was 18 and that's great. You know, a long time ago. Was it a nighttime show or a No, I show? actually would go in in the mornings and do, uh, I did what you would call the morning show. I'd go on and be on the air from six until nine. Wow. Nobody else, none of the other college kids wanted to get up that early. So I was in there doing the, right. doing my thing. Time and temperature and that stuff? or uh, no, Just not, music? I did music. I didn't really have to do that. I mean, it w- there mm-hmm. was no structure at all. None. Wow. So, and then I also was working some commercial radio at the time. So I worked at the station where my dad worked. Well, let's back up. What did your father do? I mean, what, in radio? Well, he was on the air and he did everything you can do in a radio station. He was. He had been a newsman. He had been on the air as a jock. He was in sales. He had done everything. He helped start a radio station from scratch. He got fired from that same station when he tried to unionize them. They ran him out of town. Wow. This is in South Dakota? Uh, that was in Idaho okay. in the 50s when radio was wide open. And he uh, he had a very interesting radio career. He was, he was uh, one of the first people to do talk radio in the 60s, right around about when I was born. I have a... National Association of Broadcasters newspaper from like 1967, and they did a big story on him. About yeah. how he would did this nighttime talk show, and people would call in, and he'd say, "Oh, bunk, you know, you're wrong," and hang up on him, and all that. And uh-huh. apparently, it was a new thing at the time. 
And he got some notoriety for that. He was good enough. He told me that he actually uh, applied for a newsman job with WBZ in Boston, sure. the year I was born. And he said he was number two. There was only one guy that beat him. And they they let him know that we liked, we wanted to hire you, but one guy beat you. So that was interesting when he told yeah. me that. So my dad had a had a pretty long radio career. Yeah. So it was around me, but I I didn't get anything really from him in what he did in radio. He he was very stilted, and mm-hmm. and you know it was that era, yeah. kind of how radio people were. Sure. Yeah. yeah exactly. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Right. Very stilted. You practiced. And he, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. I didn't really. I mean, it's, oh, well, it's neat. It's tough to say, but I didn't get anything from him in what I do, other than the music that was around. So grateful sure. for that. So you go through grade school and then into high school, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. um, a high school, would you like go to dances or anything? or or? I was a basketball player, and I was a pretty decent one. Oh. Um, so I was really wrapped up in that. And then I worked a lot. And you remember Walkmans, Jerry? <laughs> yes, I do, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> I had a Walkman, and I, I, I would mowed lawns, and I delivered newspapers, and I always had my Walkman on, and I was listening to something all the time when I was moving around. I kind of missed the Walkman. Well, it was fun. Well, sure. <laughs> I used to, I mean, I'm older than you. I used to just have a transistor that was in, I put into my basket when I rode my bicycle around, and just, I never got into earphones for any reason. I would just mm. play whatever I wanted to hear, just blasting it, like the original boombox or something, mm-hmm. except it was, you know, the size of a pack of cigarettes or whatever mm-hmm. yeah what a great invention when that came along yeah oh wow. yeah oh, for sure it opened up the world for so many people in so many ways did you get into like rock and roll or pop music at all or not, not really? at that point it's it's odd how i never i i never had any interest in it it didn't do anything for me my sister listened to it but it was just i when i was in college i had a music appreciation class and we saw this incredible documentary this would have been 1987 called it was 20 years ago today and it was about june 1st 1967 the documentary was about that was the day sergeant that pepper. sergeant pepper was released and mm-hmm. so i'd never had any exposure to it and it was a great documentary and so then i went and got the album and so that i'm a big beatles fan and i have certain tastes in some of that but not in a broad huh. sense how about know? that everything i've always just kind of followed my inner voice and just gone here and gone there and gone there and just whatever has inspired me, just go in that direction. That's kind of how I try to do my radio show is just, this sure. is what I'm listening to this week. This is what I'm thinking about. And that's what I'll play. Mm-hmm. How about with records? Do you remember by chance that the first record you bought with your own money? I'm sure it was one of the Sinatra things that I was curious about that I didn't know anything about. Because, you know, we remember how, you know, our, our sleeves used to have the little like a little commercial about all the LPs that, that are out there on the label. The inner sleeve. Yeah, right. the inner sleeve. Exactly, yeah. right. And so I sure. remember sure. looking at them saying, well, that looks good. So I would go to the Sam Goody every week, and they they had these great huge books. You remember those? And you'd go in and you'd look it up, yeah. and they'd order it, and it, they'd find it in there and get some catalog number sure. out of there, and they'd sure. order it, and they'd say, we'll call you when it comes in. So the following week, I'd go back up there and lay out my six bucks, and I'd get, you know, another Sinatra record or another Count Basie record or whatever. And that's how I did it for a very long time. Wow. One at a time. <laughs> always always LPs, right? Yeah. I, w- mm-hmm. I have some 45s. My dad used, you know, he would have his theme songs on his radio shows. And he'd write on their Good Hope's theme. So I have a handful of, I probably have 145s that are still around that mm-hmm. I've kept because they were his, you know, that he used on the air. They're fun. 
I mean, most of that's on CD now, but still. Yeah. Oh, oh. Jerry, you love 45s. Yeah, Who am I talking to? Nothing Come like on. 45s. <laughs> you got two sides. You are the there's king of 45s. And a, yeah. <laughs> an A side and a B side. Yeah. What else sure. do you want? So you go through high school. You have some radio experience after mm-hmm. high school, mm-hmm. and then you decide to go into the service. Yes. So why don't you tell us about the service just briefly? Well, I pretended to be a, a C5 mechanic for four years. They okay. could teach a monkey to do the things that we did. If you can read a manual, you could do the job. And mm-hmm. and then I, I got out and I got a job with UPS and went to college and just kind of built my world from there. I got a job at a station in Dover within a couple of months of landing in Dover. One of the guys I worked with was working there, so I got a weekend slot um, and I was board operating for WDOV. DOV, okay. And so mm-hmm. that's where I started working commercial radio there. And then I actually, they put me on the country station. I was on WDSD for a couple of years, which I hated, but it really was great experience because I, you know, you, you get your chops developed, you do a six hour air shift wow. and you're really working hard and you're, you're developing the capacity to be comfortable behind the mic. So I've always been grateful for that. When was it? It was Labor Day 1988. WDOV went from rock and roll oldies to a middle of the road format. And mm-hmm. I said, I want to do a program. And they said, do it. And so at that point, I chopped off all the other stuff I was doing. You know, I, I wasn't going to be doing being a country jock anymore once I started doing what I really am. Yeah, but that yeah. was great experience. You can never can never get enough uh, experience being on the air like that. A six-hour shift with very few commercials, breaks, and et cetera, you really learn fast. And you learn how to be a pro, because I didn't know anything about the music. So I had to, yeah, when you're, Jerry, you know, you had to cue records properly. I was going to say, you were were cueing 45s, (laughs) You were cueing 45s, sometimes Mm -hmm. LPs. We had, you remember Mm -hmm. the carts, too, those old. Yeah, sure. So Mm -hmm. that all was going on, and you had your, your little music clock, and it would have the... You know, this quarter hour, you need to play from the B pile and the C pile and the D pile and all of that. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I learned all of it. But with DOV, you got to do like like a jazz show. Yeah, basically. I did basically what I do now. It was called the Sinatra and Company, and I was on the air on Saturday mornings from 7 until noon. So I did jazz and all these things between 7 and 10. And then from 10 to noon, I did my all Sinatra thing. And so I, I absolutely loved it, and it, I would... I did really well with it. It was successful. We had a lot of sponsors. I I did really well. Wow, surprisingly. Great. Yeah. Why'd you move on? I mean, just. Uh. I mean, time. I ended changed. up going to New York because I got a job working for this little uh, independent record label, and I did that for a couple of months, and I couldn't afford it, but it was a great experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything. What was the label? Uh, it was called Stash. <laughs> oh, Stash. Oh, I know Stash. Oh, you know Stash? Well, I, 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 well, okay, well yeah. Will, Will Freewald, right? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm friends with Freewald. He got me the job at Stash. Oh, wow. Well, he, yeah. And so... Let's it, just say, let me just jump in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Will Freewald is a famous jazz critic, right? Or, he is now, yeah. At the time, he worked at Stash. But okay, everything okay. he produced, he put a pseudonym on because it it's a big-time pirated thing. Uh, well, yeah, I, mm-hmm. the, I'm familiar with mainly was they put out a Christmas album called yes. Stash Christmas with Louis Armstrong on the front. Yeah. And were, oh, yeah. And there were four. I, my, my Christmas show for years just lived off that album on, on Hip City. St- mine still does. You know, I still have you know, it. Every, yeah. every cut was great. Yes. You know. Well, and then they had another one. Didn't they have like a marijuana uh, album? Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Re- I think Reefer they did. Madness, I think they called it or something like right, that. Right, something like oh, that. Yeah. No, you're right, Stash. Yeah, sure. I was there for a couple of months. I got to produce a couple of things 
I was really proud of what I got to do, but Jerry, I was losing literally $500 a month. I was flat broke. I couldn't afford it. Sure. He was paying, this guy, his name was Bernie Brightman, who ran it, and he uh, made his money after World War II in the, ha- I kid you not, <laughs> hanger business. He made hangers. <laughs> oh, cl- clothes hangers. Clothes hangers. And then he decided he wanted to get involved in jazz. And you can imagine. So mm-hmm. he's paying me $8 an hour. I'm living in this studio flat in Brooklyn. I'm barely keeping my head above water, but I'm like, hey, I'm loving this. I go to work every day and I'm dealing with musicians and I'm dealing with this music. Right, and I got, right, I, you right. Know. And so after two months, I thought, well, I've proven my mettle. So I said, Bernie, I need a raise. Well, you're doing a good job. I said, well, I, I said, I'm making eight bucks an hour. You need to pay me $16 an hour. And his face turned white. Absolutely not. I said, all right, well, I'm leaving tomorrow. And I literally got up wow. and left because I was just broke. I mean, I couldn't do it. And um, after that, I came back to Delaware and I, I ended up going west. I lived in Utah for four years. My sister was there. I got a job with AT&T and it was okay, but... It was a terrible place to live for me. Drove me nuts. It was the prison of the mind, and it was really hard for me to live that way. So I, oh. I came back, and I was back here. I got back the day that the day Richie Ashburn died was the day I got back. I'll always remember that. It was September wow. of '97 because I was listening to WCAU as I was driving through uh, Pennsylvania, and I listened to them the whole day talking about Richie, and it was such a sad day. But I felt really good because I was like, well. I'm almost home. <laughs> right, because you could CIU was one of those clear channel 50, stations. 50,000 watts right, forever. Right, And exactly. so it made me feel good, even though I was sad about Richie being yeah, gone. Yeah, sure, So sure. when I got back then, I within about six months, I convinced WDOV to put me back on the air, and they did. And then I started simulcasting, because they had been absorbed through clear channel, and I was simulcasting both on WDOV and then WJBR AM. And then the, the AM show really took off. Uh, they were making all kinds of money on it. They were killing. In fact, I had a sponsor show me the ratings, and I actually had they the ratings would spike. I couldn't believe it when my show was on. The ratings spiked. It was the well, best yeah. ratings they'd get all week long. Was when I was on the air, and then they changed formats and they pulled the plug on it, and it was done. But by that point, I was here on the, at, at WVUD, and I found you know where my home is really. This stage. Wow. Now, did somebody say you were with WTUX for a while or or no? Am I... Well, that's that's their call letters now. They were oh, okay. WJBR AM, AM 1290. Okay, right. Okay, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, I was with okay. that for was five years. I was the wow. last local voice that broadcast on that station before they did the switch to all sports talk. I was the last one. Wow. Mm-hmm. No. So I know there are people that listen to me here that used to listen to me on that for years. And it's fun to hear from people that still remember it, you know. Oh, that is cool. Yeah, it's fun. And I was on WVUD and uh, WJBR for four years. I was doing both simultaneously. And I'm so glad I did, because if I had lost the other one and not had this, I would have been lost in the woods. Because you're maintaining a day job. Oh, yeah. By this time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but this is my outlet. This is what I love. Yeah, sure. That's why I'm so glad. I mean, it was there was an interest meeting like in early October of 99. That was when I came here, and they put me on right away. How'd you so, find out about that? I had a friend that listened to WVUD all the time, and he said, they've got an interest meeting, you know, and they, they're t- looking for people. And so I thought, well, I'll show up. And, you know, Michael Foster said, we need people to do jazz shows. And so I just walked over and said, I'm ready to go. And he said, start tomorrow and i walked in and did it was literally like that so you know that's how it, how it went and i've 
here I am 20 years later, and now I also do uh, intermiss and, and scratchy grooves once a month on Sundays. Right. It, as an aside, I'll just say, in this interview series I'm doing, that's the story of a lot of people. <laughs> they show up, they talk to somebody in, in charge, and they say, yeah. well, can you, oh, you can do that? Yeah, start tomorrow. And it just, it, you know, by Well, so I, he, he, I told him I know the mechanics of how to do things, so it was, yeah. it was yeah. I was really excited. I was, well, I mean, in my, you know, program on uh, AM 1290, that one, it was all Sinatra, and it was good, but it was also incredibly annoying because you know these people know how to sell airtime but they don't know how to program anything and they tried telling me what to do all the time and it drove me nuts and so i had a very wise friend who said don't worry about it whenever they tell you to do something just reply and say i will give that all the consideration it deserves (laughs) and then walk out and ignore them and that's exactly what i did and they were making so much money that it didn't matter you know, but they still felt they needed to try to tell me, you know, do this and do that. And I just ignored it and whatever. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I've been incredibly lucky, Jerry, to consider that I did commercial radio for that long and I was, did what I wanted to do. It's, it's kind of a miracle. So how many years have you been here at WVUD? 20. I just passed wow. a 20 year anniversary here about a month ago. Wow. Or, no, a couple of weeks ago. It was the Tuesday before Halloween, 1999. You started I, on Tuesday nights? It, yeah, I was on Tuesdays for a little while, and then I switched to Wednesdays. Now, yeah. how about, I, I always ask this too, but how about, has your show, your WV, well, you can talk about, your, you have a longer career than that, but uh, but here, of course, you're without commercial constraints or anything. How has your, has your show changed at all in the 20 years since you started here? Well, that's a good question. Um, I don't think it's changed that much. I still kind of come in with the same approach of, I, I want people to feel like they're actually sitting in my living room with me listening to what I'm sharing. And so I inevitably just start, when I, well, like today, I, I listen to music all day while I'm working, so I'm lucky. And so on a Wednesday, there might be something I'll hear and I'll think, I want to do something with that. And so, you know, at 1.30 this afternoon, I I was listening to a Louis Armstrong, Louis Armstrong record, I can't, and he did, I can't give you anything but love, and I'm like, ding. I'm going to do something with that. So I brought it. It's here, and I will do something with that tonight, mm-hmm. and there'll be a little bit. And then I also came up with another idea. They just kind of grow like that, and then I start to pull my music, and then sometimes I come in, and I think I've got it planned, and then I start, and I just throw the whole thing out, and I do totally different things. It just depends. I try to be in the moment, which I love, mm-hmm. and sometimes I think, oh, it wasn't very good tonight, and then I listen to the program the next day, and I'm like, it's better than I thought. You know, okay. When you're doing it, sometimes it doesn't feel that good. And then I go back and listen. I'm like, oh, I don't think it's, you know, and I'm being hard on myself. We yeah. all do that, you know. Right. But well, the, the audience doesn't it, see you cussing yourself. And, no, uh, no. And, you know. and evaluating myself. Right. And, oh, right, I, right. you know, mm-hmm. that break, I sounded terrible. I was stumbling over that word <laughs> or whatever. But that's, you know. <laughs> or, or how about I literally played the wrong song on the CD player. Oh, but, I hey, do, it sounds great. I you do know, that yeah, all the right. time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll admit it, and other times I'll just think, well, I can I can pull that off and nobody needs to know, so I just keep <laughs> Hey, that's that's part of the joy of it. Sure, Why not? Sure, so, sure. So I, I, your, your question, I don't think I it's that much different than it used to be. I think I'm a little more... Um, I would say a little more focused before I come in, in the sense that I don't haul as much music in as I used to. Maybe it's because I'm getting older. 
I have my little cart and, you know, right. I haul yeah. I haul quite a bit, but I think I'm more specific. So there's fewer items and I know that, okay, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And then sometimes I still just throw it out and right. go a different direction. I'm sure you do the same thing. I know you do. Yeah. I, you know, Spinatron has changed my show a little bit because, I mean, I actually, I'm faithful to Spinatron. So I, so I actually prepare my shows now more than I used to, uh, you know, because I, know. I have to type as I go. I'm struggling with that. And, uh, yeah. and my records, of course, I always, they're cut, all too I always long. cut up the jazz the, <laughs> while the jazz jocks are reading the New York times. It, well, I know. don't, I'm always <laughs> listening. My show, my show is actually one of my best listening times of the week. I just, all I'm doing, but you're right. I'm still pounding on the keyboard and I'm focusing on making sure I get all the data in there. And yeah, that's, but I don't want to prepare. Yeah. I don't want to. You still play a good amount of Sinatra on your show? Or I do. Not? Yeah. No, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Some people might say too much. When I do the Sunday night, uh, when I do In a Mist, I will do an hour at the end of that. And people like it. I always get calls and say, I love it when you get to your Sinatra hour. And so I don't worry about it. But his musicianship is so astonishing that you can plug him in against alongside jazz musicians. And most of them, many of them revered him. You know, and he worked with many of them. So it's it's never out of place. I always have a good reason for it. Um, and I tend to always end every program with a Sinatra record if I haven't done anything with, with you know, him specifically through the, the two hours on a Wednesday. You know, I love Sinatra to death, but I call it like it is. You know, he had horrible flaws. He was bipolar. I mean, he self-medicated. I mean, I, I don't hide from any of that. That's part, it informs his greatness, really, yeah, and I, I'm not a cultist. I love him to death. I own every record he ever made. I'll talk yeah. about all of them, but I'll also say, you know, hey, I mean, come on. So that's that's yeah. never going to be a part of anything I do, and I never, never had, you know, never, never. All my Sinatra shows were always about the artist, none of the debris, all of the rat pack crap and all of that. It's nonsense. It's irrelevant. It doesn't mean anything. He's been dead for 20 plus years now, and what matters is the music. 50 years from now, somebody's going to still be listening to him. Probably a lot of people. And it's because the music is what matters, not all of the other stuff. And that's all that, at the end of the day, he cared about that more than anything else. And to me, that's what we should focus on, and that's what I focus on. Anything else you want to say? Well, I, I would like to say that, for me, I'm really grateful that each and every time I get to come in here, I get the opportunity to do what I do. I think sometimes we forget that it is a real privilege. And I'm not trying to suck up to anybody because that's not what I do. But I realize for me it's a privilege. I really want people to, I hope that I'm able to communicate my passion about all of it. And I want the audience to hear that. To me, that's the most important thing. I always think about it. I, I think about the musicians that we love. I think about Sinatra. And I think, you know, imagine how much... When I consider how much his music means to me, turn that the other way around and then think about how much it must have meant to him. It was everything. It was everything. And his paranoias and his insecurities were always built around what his, was how his voice felt on any given day. Literally. I mean, he made millions of dollars in all kinds of different ways, but he woke up in the morning and it was like, how, do I, how's the, how are the pipes? I mean, and so I always want to feel like that that is what I hopefully am imparting. And if I'm talking about Roy Eldridge or some other jazz musician, I hope that I'm able to share the idea that, you know, this guy lived for this. You know, he didn't make a lot of money. He, this is, he couldn't be anything but this. And that's what, to me, is part of what's so wonderful about it. And I want 
the audience to, to know that. If they walk away with anything, know that, that these guys and, and ladies, damn few of them made any money, you know, at the end of the day. Right. It was, you know, it's who they are. They couldn't be anything but that. We've been talking with Pat Goodhope from uh, Avenue C on Wednesday nights. Be sure to check it out. And Pat, thanks for coming down. Well, thank you again All for right. having me. I'm really honored that you gave sure. me a chance to be part of the series. You've been listening to Disc Jockey Confidential here on WVUD. These shows are part of longer interviews I conducted over the past few years, so some of the times and dates mentioned are not current. I hope to have the complete interviews available as podcasts in the near future. Tune in next Monday at 8.30 a.m. for another edition of Disc Jockey Confidential. Why don't you spend just a couple of minutes, like, who else do you feature on your shows? I mean, some of your favorites. Well, uh, I mean, I have I have so many favorites. It's so easy for me to do a special on, on, on musicians. I mean, I, it is so easy. I just recently did my, you know, annual Johnny Mercer birthday, which I love doing and people really love. So, I mean, he was so... You can argue that he's maybe the most talented musician the twenty, you know, the twentieth century ever produced. He was a great singer, great lyricist, great record man. He was an A and R man. He created Capitol, Capitol Records, Records right? and he was. It was him. He did all of it for like six, seven years, and he was an alcoholic at the same time. So he was a highly functioning alcoholic. Did all this, and then he. Uh, it's astonishing to think everything that he did. So it's easy to do a show about Johnny Mercer because I've got. Every sources I could do 10 hours you know I do three and I'm looking at how everything I left on the table so um, it's easy for me to do things like that which I love doing and I'll often do some you know I like to do an Irving Berlin birthday thing so it will be you know all Irving Berlin songs whether it's vocals or instrumentals or whatever and that's mm-hmm. easy to do because I know all of them in my head you know are Irving Berlin songs so I like I do a lot of focus on the you know, the American songbook, because I know those songs so well, and I love the the lyricists and the composers. So it's easy for me to build things around that. And a lot of times in my shows, I might, on Avenue C, I'll take out a song and I'll do, you know, nine different versions from totally different ranges of jazz and whatever, just right. across the board. And to me, that's, that's I love doing that, because it, it allows people to hear the range of what a song can be. You know, those, some of those songs are so good that they can be interpreted in so many different ways and they can be, you know, orchestrated in so many different ways. It can be treated as a ballad. It can be treated as a big up-tempo thing across the board. And so that's, I get a real kick out of doing that and making the connections. I, I love it when I will listen to a jazz number and then I realize, oh, that song is based on the chord structure of, you know, this standard song over here and and you know it's um give me the simple life there are three different very prominent songs that were written by uh duke ellington and uh some of the orchestrators and the writers for count basie there's three different songs built on that and so you I, I once I figured that out, I loved it. So I played somebody doing "Give Me the Simple Life," and then I played the Ellington thing that you can you can hear the melody in there. And mm-hmm. then I played the bassy thing, and I love making those kinds of connections because you know that that's fun, and I think people enjoy hearing that. Sure. And I hope that my enthusiasm for it makes people feel enthusiastic about it. I hope so. I want to believe that. You know. Sure, sure. I just had. Uh... I just, the other day, well, 